Welcome to the Thriving Artist Podcast, an educational feature of the Clark Hewlings Fund for Visual Artists. The Clark Hewlings Fund exists to provide entrepreneurial learning and business training to visual artists, to turn working artists into thriving artists. I'm Daniel Degree, your host. For our listeners in and around New Mexico, that includes Oklahoma, Colorado, Arizona, Texas, Utah, and Northern Mexico, or if you just long to bask in sunny Santa Fe, regardless of where you call home, I want you to open a browser right now and go to clarkhewlingsfund.org slash Santa Fe. That's clarkhealingsfund.org slash Santa Fe. We still have a few tickets left for the second annual Art Business Summit, April 6th through 7th in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Now, this is for working artists to take your career to the next level by learning how to build gallery relationships, sell work online, market by connecting your audience with your powerful story, price your work for maximum saleability and profit, and create a powerful network of other professional artists. Seriously, if you're taking the long way around the mountain of fortune and fame as an artist, we'd like to show you the shorter passage through it. We're also going to give you $100 that you can take off the price of it, which makes it crazy silly not to head for one of the great centers of visual art, Santa Fe, and spend a weekend boosting your career. So write down this coupon code, S-A-V-E. That was simple, right? Save, S-A-V-E. And again, that address to use the coupon code is clarkhealingsfund.org slash Santa Fe. Now a heads up, I'll be there as one of the teachers and consultants showing you how to get a lot more effect from your marketing efforts. So tap me on the shoulder when you're there and let me know. Now, our guest today is Ray Beldner. Ray is an artist, a teacher, and co-founder of the Startup Art Fair. A sculptor and a new media artist, his work is in the Fine Art Museums of San Francisco, Oakland Museum of California, and Smithsonian National Portrait Gallery. He taught sculpture and professional practices throughout the Bay Area, including San Francisco Art Institute and California College of the Arts. Welcome to the show, Ray. Thank you, Daniel, for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, now, Ray, you co-founded the Startup Art Fair. Why did you start this fair, and how would you describe the event for those that aren't yet familiar with it? Well, let me start by talking about the event. The Startup Art Fair is a contemporary art fair for independent artists. And it's uh, unlike many other fairs. It's not a booth fair. It's a hotel fair. So basically what we do is we take over a hotel, and each artist gets a room and puts up uh, a solo exhibition, and we invite the public in for three days. And along with the exhibits in the rooms, we have panel discussions, music, performances, outdoor sculptures, special projects, um, lots of other things. So it's a kind of an immersive and big family-friendly activity for the whole weekend. But the reason that I started it is, you know, the art world's been changing a lot in the last 10 to 15 years. And and part of what's driving the change in the art world, in my opinion, is the proliferation of art fairs for galleries. So art buying is becoming less about walking into a gallery and enjoying the exhibition and buying it. It's become more event driven. So now most galleries are doing most of their business in Miami and New York and in Basel and Chicago and LA at the big fairs. Um, What that's done though, is create a lot less opportunities for artists to show their work in galleries. I had three galleries at one point. I had a gallery in New York and one in LA and one in San Francisco. And one by one, I lost them because one went out of business, one retired and one I parted ways with. So I found myself like a lot of artists have found themselves without gallery representation and yet wanting to get my work in front of that art fair audience. So when I was looking around a few years back for an art fair where I could represent myself, 
without having to go through the gatekeepers of the galleries, I, I couldn't find anything, at least not in the United States. So I decided to create my own. I called up a friend of mine who used to own a gallery here in San Francisco, and we put together this idea of a hotel art fair for artists. Well, uh, it's certainly one of my favorite parts of Startup Art Fair that you get a room instead of just sort of a, <laughs> you know, your corner of a tent or a table uh, in a large place. You know, there's been so many of these where uh, I'm talking to one artist and tripping over the easel of the artist behind me. And <laughs> it's uh, unfortunately not as professional of an environment for cultivating collectors and, and really closing a sale. Uh, it doesn't have the gravitas of uh, sort of a selective art fair where you have a room. Yeah, I agree. I mean, and, and that was the, the first thing we wanted to do is separate ourselves from other artist fairs like the ones in the park where it's pretty much play to pay and you can have a booth or a table. We wanted ours to be juried. So it, we, we always have six jurors, two well-known museum curators, two gallery owners, and two well-known artists. And so just to get past the jury is an accomplishment. But then, yeah, giving the artists their own separate spaces. Because even at the best booth fairs where, you know, like maybe Chicago Expo or Freeze Art Fair, you're still walking down a hallway with hundreds of other people basically looking into the booths and deciding if you want to walk in enough to go look at the art. And to me, that's not a very good art viewing experience because what happens is also the galleries tend to bring only the most in-your-face, active, you know, outrageous work because they're trying to grab the attention from a bunch of people walking by. Uh, what happens with the hotel fair is you have to enter the room if you want to see the work. And once you enter the room, you're in this immersive environment. And it is much more conducive to talking to people about the artwork. I think our visitors love it because they get to have one-on-one -on -one face time with the artist. And the artists love it because it, it does feel more um, whole and, and intimate. Um, and I think it's a good way to sell art. I think it's a good way to look at art. Um, and it's kind of fun. And the, the upside for the artist, too, is if the artist is coming from out of town, they can stay in the room as well. So it kind of cuts down on cost as well for the artist. So there's both kind of conceptual reasons why a hotel uh, fair, I think, is better, and also real practical reasons. So we're going to talk uh, in a few minutes about the art fair model and specifically its financial components for artists. Uh, but first, uh, I have a couple of questions. Let's delve into Startup Art Fair specifically. How did you assess the market and the potential participation of both artists and organizations? Uh, why was it a good time for this, and, and what was the response? Yeah, I mean, I think it was a good time to do this be like, because, like I said, I think that a lot of um, traditional venues for artists have been failing and falling away. And because we have the Internet and it's made everything more transparent, it's given us a lot of tools as artists to be able to promote ourselves more efficiently um, online as well as offline. So it seemed like the right time because... One, everybody was going to art fairs anyway, because that's where the business is going, the brick and mortar businesses. And two, given the ability to um, have a real strong presence online, even if you're a small artist or a small gallery, it just seems like you know, the move is away from brick and mortar galleries and more into something that is event driven and maybe you know, supported by an online component. 
So the way that we've always seen the fair, in fact, is not just an event. I really feel like our fair is part of a much larger idea um, where we can work with our artists all year round. So on top of doing three events every year, we also have an art consultancy. We do pop-up events every month. We do panel discussions and we do some online stuff. So yeah, I think that's why <laughs> I felt like the time was right because there was a confluence of kind of um, social and um, economic uh, events that was making it more possible for artists to represent themselves. So uh, I want to ask uh, about the response specifically to the startup brand. What's the link between artists and startups? Why, why is it the startup art fair? How is that relevant? Yeah, well, I mean, because, you know, because I'm from the Bay Area, and I think that what's happened in the last few years or so is that startup, the concept of startup has a really bad reputation in San Francisco. Um, it, it doesn't seem to be the case in other cities, but in San Francisco, a startup, it sounds interesting, it sounds entrepreneurial, it sounds really exciting, but in fact, it's startups, big tech startups, which are displacing small businesses out of um, out of buildings that they've been in for years and startup people that work at startups are moving into neighborhoods and driving up the rents or buying, you know, houses and driving up the cost of housing. I mean, at least that's the perception. And so my partner and I, when we started this, we were looking for a name that would be somewhat evocative of the Bay area and also would somehow reflect this idea that this is a fair where, you can start up your career. Because a lot of people that, that, a lot of artists that do our fair are either young, just out of school and they're starting, or they're maybe mid-career or even older artists who have, are looking for a way to get back into the marketplace. And so they're restarting their career. So the idea of startup seemed like a good idea. And we want to reclaim that name and make it something positive as well. Um, so that's how we came up with the name. Oh, yeah. I, I certainly don't have a negative view of uh, startups myself. And in fact, I own several of them and, and work with uh, a lot of them, and, and including a number of artists whose businesses I view as startups. So, yeah, I think it's a, it's a positive connotation these days. Although um, with what's going on with Facebook, maybe it takes a little bit of a hit, but they're, they're well past startup mode. Uh, so we recently interviewed a fellow in Clark Ewing's funds uh, in the Clark Ewing's Fund Business Accelerator Program, Aaron Lau, uh, and he mentioned that art fairs uh, are a great practice for negotiating and to gauge consumer reaction to uh, artists' art. Uh, do you see those as benefits of the startup art fair, and what other benefits would you add to that? Yeah, I mean, it, for artists that have never done an art fair, either with a gallery or on their own it's an incredible learning experience. And um, for someone who hasn't done it before, I always tell them that they need to do it more than once because it, there's a real learning curve to it. But yeah, it's a great place to test ideas, to test your market. It's a really great place to learn how to do sales, to be able to stand there for days on end, pretty much saying the same thing over and over again to people in a very kind voice <laughs> and sounding enthusiastic each time you, you do it. But it's a practice that, that, that takes practice, right? But it has a lot, I think it has a lot of benefits. It's really its own kind of trial by fire. Um, you learn a lot about how to gauge people's interest, how to read them, how to close a sale, 
you know, you can, you can see what other artists are doing, how they pitch themselves, how they present their work. So I think it, it, it can be an incredible learning experience. As well, it can be a very profitable experience. What I do before the fair, because I know there's a lot of, you know, younger artists or at least artists that are kind of new to the marketplace, I send at least, I think I send six emails in the six weeks leading up to the fair, one a week, talking about preparing for the fair. So it, one email will touch on lighting, one will touch on art fair promotion, how you get ready and promote yourself both before, during, and after the fair. One will talk on, will explain all the various things you need to bring to a fair. Like artists don't know, you know, when they come to a fair, um, especially a hotel fair, you need to bring lights, you need to bring a guest book, your collateral, you need to bring things like tape and paper to wrap things. You have to have a, you know, uh, an invoice book. There's all these little details. If you haven't done a fair before, you need to know. And um, I try to prep everybody. I think of it as a learning experience every time we do it for every artist. Um, and there's always something more to learn and something to do better each time. Oh, I like that. So uh, it's very much like uh, even if you're sort of not in startup mode as an artist that, you know, initially your every art fair is a startup. In essence, it's a it's a practice within your practice. So I want to move to uh, segment two of the show and talk with you a little bit about the art fair model and examine that a bit. So a lot of other fairs also serve artists who don't have representation by an agent or gallery, and they specifically use the term emerging artist. So examples include the other art fair, affordable art fair, outsider art fair. Is that emerging characterization squarely in your wheelhouse, or are you targeting a new market of slightly more established artists? Well, first off, we welcome all artists, whether or not they have gallery representation. I think it's a misnomer. I think a lot of people have said to me, yeah, I can't do your fair of gallery representation. That's not true at all. We have one criteria for doing our fair and one, and one criteria only. The artist has to benefit 100% from the sales of their work at our fair. So if you have a dealer in a different region, then that's not a problem. Or if you um, make a deal with your dealer and you say, I'm going to represent myself and benefit from this, that's great. I don't want to exclude every artist, but um, in terms of the type of artist that we target, you know, I'm looking for anyone who wants to start up their career and continue their career. And so I get emerging artists, I get mid-career artists, and I get fairly established artists that have just kind of fallen by the wayside. Yeah, emerging is such a nebulous concept. <laughs> You know, I used to be called an emerging artist, but I was called an emerging artist for 10 years. And I kept thinking, what am I going to emerge out of this thing? And what am I emerging into? Um, emerging might just be this very generic catch-all phrase for artists that haven't quite hit the big time in whatever that means. But it's not, it's not necessarily exactly what we're looking for. Yeah, so I sort of get the question a lot, actually, from uh, artists who have a gallerist who say, uh, well, what else can I do uh, to grow or, or extend or propel my career? And my first response is, well, don't let your gallerist uh, control it, because once you do that, if, if you sort of say, well, my gallerist insists on doing all the marketing, all the sales, handling all the proceeds, doing all my shows, determining what I can and can't do, there is nothing else you can do to grow your career. You're sort of at the mercy of uh, what that one person decides for you. And uh, 
uh, your, your time is best spent in the studio. But for our audience, uh, people that um, do want to uh, sort of take the reins of their career in their own hands and help push it along, um, you certainly have to step outside that box. And on that note, therefore, um, yes, there are going to be some people that say to something like Startup Art Fair, because your model is quite unusual, um, that, oh, my gallerist won't let me do it. Um, when, when that person says to you, um, I can't participate in your art fair because I have a gallerist, what they're really saying is my gallerist doesn't want me to participate in your art fair because um, I get the money. And, and so that's the unusual thing. Artists at the Startup Art Fair keep 100% of sales proceeds. Uh, and so, yeah, if you're in the same city, maybe that's a challenge. But if you're in a different region or something like that, um, you, you're not represented in that region anyway. So I think the point you're making is, um, yeah, if you're in Phoenix and we're having a startup art fair in uh, Saskatchewan or, or Utah, um, it's, it's a stretch to say you can't attend that. But let me ask you about this, uh, Ray, the, this model of 100% of the sales proceeds. It's an unusual choice. How did you decide that that was going to be the model? Well, it's not an unusual idea. Um, just like the hotel fair is not an unusual idea. Hotels, uh, hotel fairs for galleries go back way, way, way back. And, but also the idea of us not taking anything is very much based on a, a traditional gallery fair. What gallery fairs do is they charge their exhibitors for the booth and for the ancillary things they need, like extra lighting and publicity and blah, blah, blah. And then that's all they charge for. And then the galleries themselves sell the work and keep all the proceeds. And we, we're trying to make our fair similar to a gallery fair in a sense. We want it to be as good, as well vetted, and also we want to proceed on that same concept that the artists are the business people, right? You mentioned it before, what happens in the old paradigm with the artist gallery relationship is the artists generally cede their control to the dealer and the dealer by doing that, they, they are becoming infantilized. They become, in, they become dependent on the dealer and the dealer makes all the decisions, takes half the money and gives half to the artist. And that's fine, except for you can't break out of that. You can't grow your, your, your career any more than the dealer can or wants you to. So we want to treat the artists like the gallery fairs treat the galleries. They are solo business people and they are there to put their own money down and to profit by it 100%. Um, a lot of art fairs for artists take a percentage of sales. And they do that because then they can make their exhibitor fees really low or lower. But in the end, the artist pays more than what they pay us. The model, I think, is not only more appropriate in a business sense, but I, I think it's it's less expensive for artists. If you just pay the exhibitor fee, then all you have to do is sell a couple of pieces to make that back. But if you go to a fair like the other art fair, which I think is a good fair, and I did it as an artist myself, you pay them a fee and you pay them every time you sell something. So when I did it, I sold three pieces. And when I consider how much that cost me, plus the booth fee, I paid more to them than an artist would pay to me at my fair. So that's why we do it. It's a practical thing and a philosophical thing. Uh, you know, and, and the concept that artists have to take control of their own careers. 
Well, that sort of brings me back around to uh, an earlier question I was going to ask more about. You know, I, I think this is why people associate art fairs at all with uh, the concept of an emerging artist. Well, I'm an emerging artist. I go to art fairs. Once I have representation, I'm an established artist. I don't go to art fairs. Uh, and not everybody, of course, holds that point of view, but, but it certainly is one point of view that we, we hear. So I, I want to ask you two questions simultaneously and, and see which one you want to answer first, because I can't figure out. <laughs> I, this makes me want to ask two things. So number one, does that slight difference of um, viewing yourself as an established artist versus, say, an emerging artist, which I know is very subjective, does that constitute an underrepresented group of artists, meaning that but there aren't perhaps enough art fairs using the traditional model that cater to artists that see themselves as established artists versus, versus emerging. And then the second question is, do you think art fairs make financial sense in general for artists as marketing and sales mechanisms, uh, or are art fairs just becoming too overloaded, overcrowded? Let me answer your first question. So does it constitute an unrepresented group of artists? Yeah, I, yes. <laughs> there are artists out there that really need to get their work out there, and the art fairs are one way they can do that. And um, I think that's, is that the question you asked? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I'm wondering about is, is who's serving these people? Uh, I mean, do, does it stop the moment you sort of, uh, well, I'm established now, and so I'm done. Really, is that the end of the road? Or, or, or is this something that's really needed? We still need art fairs. Yes, and I don't think it's the end of the road just because you get a gallery. Again, going back to this idea of not ceding all the power to your dealer. It's like dealers are partners. They should be looked upon as partners. And you can have many partners. And those could be different partners in different regions. So, you know, if you want to continuously grow your business, you have to grow your network of partners. And, you know, one way you can get more partners is by doing um, artist art fairs, because a lot of dealers and art consultants and curators come to our fair, and that's how people get connected to galleries from our fair. There's other ways, of course. Um, so I would tell most artists, even if you have representation or you get gain representation at our fair, to keep doing it if you want to grow your career because you want to meet more people and continue to grow your network. The other thing is, do they make financial sense? It really depends on what you're trying to accomplish with your career. There's plenty of artists that are just very happy doing their work, you know, on the weekends and showing it every once in a while. And that's fine for them. Maybe they have a day job or they're financially set in a different way. But Again, if you want to reach the most amount of people with your work, curators, dealers, you know, art consultants, art writers, buyers, an art fair is one of the best ways to do it because you'll see more of those art world professionals in three days than you will probably see in your, you know, in the next two years in your studio. So it's a cost efficient way to do it. And if you can set aside you know, two or three thousand dollars to do a fair once or twice a year. Um, I think it's a good use of marketing money. Well, I, I'm glad to hear you say that. I think that a lot of people question whether art fairs really pay off. But um, and I, I think you you do have to ask. Uh, wouldn't you agree, uh, Ray? Some some substantive 
uh, questions about the nature of the particular art fair. Does it only target people who don't have representation, only emerging artists? Does it only, uh, what percentage of the profit goes to you? How are you positioned within the art fair? You know, is it a private room or, or are you just sort of at a table uh, amid a sea of tables and it looks a little like a flea market? Um, so I, I think I'm really happy about the fact um, that Startup Art Fair as a partner of the Clark Healings Fund is uh, um, such a substantive contributor to this realm because you're thinking about and weighing all these issues and structuring uh, SAF, uh, Startup Art Fair, accordingly. So it's pretty neat. Yeah, thank you. And uh, it's true. I mean, artists really have to weigh the differences between the different fairs and really compare apples to apples. like. And I always tell people, you know, if you think we're expensive, if you think this is not worth it, you know, look at the other fares and look at what they charge per square foot. Our average booth price is around $3,000. That seems like a lot of money to artists. They're like, well, you know, I can go to the other art fair, or I can go to X fair, whatever the fair is, and I can get, you know, a booth for $900. And I'm like, that's great. How big is it? And they're like, well, it's a four foot wall. <laughs> well, okay. Um, that's, that's nothing. Okay. You're getting a wall here. You're going to get an entire room. So you really have to look at what you're paying for per square foot, you know, you know, compare them apples to apples. And then the other thing you have to look at is not just is, is like, what's their reputation? Where's the venue? At what time of year is this fair? Because sometimes, you know, having a fair, we do our fairs in conjunction with bigger gallery fairs. And we do that for a very good reason, because we can kind of, um, gain some momentum from the marketing that's happening down the road at the other fair. So when more than one art event is going on in a, you know, a given weekend, chances are you'll get, you get more um, attendance that way. So I would, you have to compare that. You have to compare the track record of the fair and you can do that very easily by, you know, seeing what, what they've done and where they've been and even talking to some of the artists that have done the fair. I recommend that artists do that, that they, they get firsthand reports about the fair or go to them first before you apply. And the other thing that I think it's really important is for artists to think about what else they're going to get out of the fair, because, you know, artists are often very, you know, younger artists, especially very fearful about spending the money to do a fair like mine. They're worried they're not going to make their money back. But I always tell them you may not make their, your money back right away, but that's not the point of the fair is to just make money. It's to create a, a network of connections and those connections are what's going to feed you in the months and years to come. It's great if you can make all your money back on the weekend, but you will eventually, if you market yourself well and you present yourself well at the fair, you will eventually make that money back and then some because you're going to connect with people that are going to put you into shows and buy your work and get you commissions. That's how fairs work. That's the way galleries look at them. They look at them as giant marketing events where they connect to art professionals. Well, I want to mention that uh, just at this point, we're sort of halfway through the second segment of the show, and this is going to be a little bit of a double-length segment because we're not going to let you go, Ray. We're not done picking your brain on this art fair model. It, it's pretty important to uh, the working artists who listen to this show. Uh, but I do want to just pause for a second and say that for those interested in the San Francisco Startup Art Fair, it's not too late. It's April 27th through 29th. Uh, and, and of course, there are many other uh, locations and startup art fairs coming. So either, even if April doesn't work for you, visit startupartfair.com uh, to attend or to register for a future art fair. 
All right. So with that said, I want to go back to something you said, which is about pricing, because、uh, I think this comes up. People don't, in a vacuum, say, "Is it worth it for me to do art fairs?" They say, "Is it worth it? Is the cost、uh, and time worth it?" You know, it's cost-benefit analysis. And your art fairs, you know, when I first heard the pricing, and and I thought. You know, all right. The application fees seventy five bucks.、Uh, the rooms are twenty five hundred to four、uh, thousand bucks, average of three.、Uh, I did kind of a double take and I went, "What?" And it was only when、um, I remembered, "Wait, it's a private exhibition room. You don't get this. This is like this is like your own. It's like renting your own gallery on the premises. You don't get this in a regular art fair." That the fee started to make sense for me, especially when you're talking about a high visibility, high volume area like Los Angeles and San Francisco, where you're talking a serious amount of foot traffic. So, but yet for for you for SAF, the initial response to the fair was split between, hey, on the one hand, the reaction this is actually affordable to artists,、uh, and the other reaction, which is, wow, the costs are prohibitive. So, did you restructure anything based on that initial feedback? Well, yeah, we we originally. It's interesting you said a seventy five dollar application fee. We originally started that way, and we've now brought it down to twenty five dollars because we don't want even the application fee to be prohibitive for people to apply. And twenty five dollars is a pretty average fee to apply for anything. So we brought that down. The other thing we've been doing is we're we've changed our pricing to a more dynamic pricing model. So.、Um, It does two things. So now, instead of applying to the fair and saying I want a regular room at three thousand, or I want a one-bedroom suite at thirty-five hundred, or I want this giant suite at forty-five hundred, we've created a range of prices that go from as low as fifteen hundred dollars, as high as forty-seven hundred, and it's based on the location of the room within the fair. It's much like the way the hotels themselves price their rooms. So the rooms that are more desirable cost more. The rooms that are less desirable, they might be on the higher level or in the corner, they cost less. So artists can now choose. Okay, I don't have four thousand dollars, but I've got two thousand, and I can get this littler room that's maybe in a less desirable area, but I'm in the fair. So we keep refining the model to make it more affordable to the greater number of artists. And in addition to that. Because I know that even some artists can't afford a thousand dollars or two thousand dollars to do a fair, we partner with a lot of nonprofits in San Francisco. We partner with ArtsBan, Root Division, Three Point Nine Collective, the Asian American Women's Artists Association, and we give them free rooms. And what they do is they bring in a certain number of artists that are part of their membership, in addition to the sixty or so exhibiting artists who've paid a fee to be in the fair. We probably bring in another forty or fifty artists through our nonprofit partners that didn't pay anything to be in the fair, and they're in the fair with all these other guys. And so, you know, we have almost as many artists that come for free as we do artists that pay. We also have a program, what we call special projects, and these are artists that work in less commercial genres like performance, social practice. You know, outdoor sculpture, things that really aren't you don't see a lot at, at art fairs, because it just it wouldn't make any economic sense for those artists to do it. But we bring them in. We actually pay them a stipend. We give all of our special projects artists a couple hundred bucks to、um, do something at the fair, performance or whatever. 
Um, and we probably bring in another 10 to 12 artists that way. So that's how we kind of address, you know, the, the, the cost issue for many artists. Let me also say one thing about cost. Artists also have to think about value. Like it's not just how much it costs, but what is the value of what you're paying for? And so this is the good thing about, we talked about it a little bit earlier. The good thing about the hotel model is, so if you go do a fair out of town, like I did the art fair, other art fair in London, I had to fly there. I had to get a room. I had to ship my work and then I had to pay for my booth and then I had to pay them 10% of everything I sold. Okay. That's just the cost of doing it. But if you come from out of town to do San Francisco's fair, you still have to fly here. It's true. But you can stay in your hotel room for four days out of, you know, it's a, it's a three-day event, but there's four days to get the rooms. And we have free breakfast at the hotel, which is great. That's a little bit of money saved. Free parking. That's an enormous value in San Francisco. That's worth a couple hundred bucks. Free Wi-Fi. So there's all these other little perks. We're, we're trying to, you know, soften the blow of what seems like expensive exhibitor fees by um, making all these other perks. So in the end, the value that the artists get out of it, I think is, is good, very good compared to other fairs. Well, so I, I want to ask you another double up on you question, uh, because okay. uh, again, I got to write the, these down. <laughs> these raise so many issues that I think people are hot to try to figure out. Um, and so, you know, this kind of came up in what you said, uh, which is the issue of the audience, the audience, the potential buyers, the audience for the fair. So here are my two questions. Number one is holding an art fair in a hot location like Los Angeles or, or San Francisco. Is, is that enough? And, and if so, how do you draw that audience? How do you ensure that audience comes to the art fair? And the second is about the quality of the audience, uh, not just the numbers, you see. Uh, so one criticism of art fairs uh, that we often hear is the is audience quality, that art fairs aren't really for buyers. They're sort of more for gawkers, right? And so my question, you know, they're kicking the tires. My question is, uh, again, how do you draw the audience? Is, is the hot location enough or do you do more? And how do you ensure the quality of the audience? Yeah, those are really good questions. Well, starting with a great location like LA or San Francisco or Chicago is one way. Um, teaming up, in a sense, partnering with a bigger fair, which is what we do, we satellite onto a bigger fair, is another way of creating um, excitement about the fair and bringing in a new audience. The other thing that we do in LA and in San Francisco is we um, hire a shuttle that goes back and forth between the two fairs. This year, in fact, in San Francisco, we're, we're having a shuttle that's going between three locations. So there's three art fairs going on this year. Ours, SF Art Market, which is a big gallery fair, and then a new gallery fair called If So What. And then there's a, another event called the Designer Showcase, which is where designers take over a room in a very nice house and they redesign it and the public comes in to see it. It's actually, it's like an art fair for designers. Um, we haven't got art market on board, but we have a shuttle going between our fair, if so, what, and the designer showcase. So that's another way to bring qualified traffic, you know, qualified buyers from other places into our fair. Obviously we advertise a bunch. We do lots of different kinds of promotions and partnerships 
with nonprofit organizations, with hotels, with groups like SICA and just different kinds of groups that are interested in cultural events. I'm not interested in having people come to our fair and just look. I mean, it's great if families come and they enjoy themselves and we've got wonderful food vendor and we've got drinks, then we have lots of things beyond just the rooms to look at, performances, like I said, and outdoor sculptures. But what we really want are art professionals. And so those are what I just mentioned are some of the ways we try to bring those qualified buyers in. The other thing we do, like all art fairs do, is we send out a lot of tickets. We comp people, we give discounted tickets, you know, we do exchanges with cultural institutions like museums and nonprofits to bring even more people from the art world into the fair. And again, like I said, it's not all buyers we're looking for. We're looking for art world professionals that will help advance an artist's career in different ways. So that's how we address the quality. We're not just advertising to the mass public, but we're really targeting these areas of the art world um, where people have an interest in art by independent artists. Well, so let's let's make that our, our last question for this segment, and then we'll move on to uh, the final segment of the show. Uh, spinning off of that, targeting a, a particular audience. You know, fairs offer a direct-to-audience mechanism for selling art. Uh, but so does Instagram and, and a lot of online selling venues, um, depending on whether you're selling originals or reproductions, uh, or both. What do you make of online selling? Does it affect the art fairs or does it, is it a good sort of combination or interaction? And what, what is the potential interaction or impact of uh, digital versus uh, in-person art fairs? Yeah, well, um, that's a really good question. Um, yeah, art's being sold obviously all over the place in all different ways, depending on who the buyer is. There are some buyers that'll only come and look at things in person and buy it direct. There are some collectors that only buy work from art fairs. There are some buyers that only buy work from galleries. There are some buyers that only buy work online through Instagram or Facebook. That's why it's important as an artist or a gallery or even an art fair to have a multi-pronged strategy about how you approach getting to those people. If I only focused on my real world events, every, you know, one every four months, I would only reach a very small portion of potential buyers or art lovers or any other kind of art world profession you can think of. So we have a very strong social media strategy. We advertise on Facebook and Instagram. We promote ourselves constantly on those platforms, as well as we have our targeted email list that, that keeps, it's in the thousands, tens of thousands, and it keeps growing every day. And we promote directly that way through direct email and we advertise as well. But yeah, it's, you have to have a multi-prong approach in order to really create a vibrant business. And, um, but I don't think one necessarily hurts the other. I really think they, they can really support each other really well. Well, so moving on then from sales itself and from the art fair model, let's talk uh, in the final segment about education for artists, because at least maybe not in every art fair, but you've certainly made this a, 
a portion of what Startup Art Fair does. So some art fairs, yes, they're just about sales and selling, but um, but this particular fair has learning panels that serve the artists, not specifically collectors at all. So why include, and, and in fact, just to mention, I mean, you know, Clark Hewling's Fund Fellows uh, and a Clark Hewling's Fund board member were on one of those panels. Uh, we did one at, recently in L.A. called Artist as Entrepreneur, Becoming the CEO of Your Life, which, by the way, you can check out in the, the learning portal at the Clark Hewling's Fund. Uh, so... My question is, uh, why include those educational components in a fair like Startup Art Fair? Yeah, good question. I mean, well, I have a background in, as you mentioned at the top of the podcast, that I have a background in education. I taught for 20 years, and one of the main things I taught was professional practices for artists. So I care deeply about artists being able to support themselves as working artists. And everything I've done in my life from teaching to starting this art fair has reflected that. I also heard very early on, one of the big criticisms of this concept of an artist fair that I heard from people that I knew was they were worried that it was going to be exploitative, that I was simply going to, you know, put on an event, charge artists a lot of money, and then just leave. And really, there could be nothing further from, you know, our business model than that. Our, mo- our mission and our, uh, and our goals are to um, empower artists to um, make their work and sell their work and support themselves on their work. And so I recognized also very early on that a lot of the younger artists who were interested in doing the fair didn't understand how to do a fair, didn't have never done it before. And it's like I said before, it's a huge learning curve. So education had to be baked into the system from the very beginning. That's why I send out a lot of educational emails to the artists as we lead up to the fair, and that's why I include educational components during the fair, because the, you know half of our audience seems to be artists who are you know they buy art, they come to buy art, they also come to look at art, and they come to look at our fair and think about it as a possible venue for their own work, but they also come to get information, and so we use the panels to disseminate information on different kinds of professional um, topics for artists. But not all of our panels are for artists. We do have a lot of panels on collecting and on how to live with art in your home and on different kinds of topics in the art world. But a lot of them are, are about, you know, making a career as an artist. And that's, that's the other way, you know, we talked a little bit earlier as well about how do I address the cost of doing the fair? And, you know, we have all kinds of way to bring artists in inexpensively or for no money at all, but also for the artist that just wants to come and learn something, this is something we give for free. You know, you come to the, well, for the cost of a ticket to the fair, you come to the fair, you can do these educational panels, you can learn a lot, you can network right there. And then we, you know, we live stream them on Facebook and we archive them on our YouTube channel as well as on our Facebook page. So we're creating an ongoing body of content that's accessible by artists all over the world through the internet from our website and our Facebook page. So that educational mission continues and it's not necessarily something that's only for the the paying exhibitors. And I'm very proud of that. And I, and that's the way that I've approached this, this fair and this business and the way we're going to continue to do it so that we reach as many artists as we can. Now, we mentioned that um, CHF and, and the Startup Art Fair collaborated on a panel, and you uh, moderated that panel. 
and it was called Artist as Entrepreneur, Becoming the CEO of Your Life. Uh, why is that a powerful topic? And what, if anything, did you take from that conversation? Well, part of the reason why I love Clark Hewing as a, as a partner is because we, we, we're on the same kind of mission to help artists and to empower them. Yeah, the idea of being an entrepreneur you know, of your life is I think it's really important that artists stop thinking of themselves as, you know, like I said, the old model was the dealer took care of the artist. And artists need to stop thinking of themselves as someone who needs help. They need to think of themselves as a business person. And it sounds really horrible to a lot of young artists. It sounds very antithetical to making artists, to making art. But in the end, you only have yourself, right? Dealers come and go. Galleries come and go. In the end, if you don't think about yourself as a business and as the CEO of that business, then you won't understand the really critical concept about making a career as an artist, and that is that you have to control it. You have to, you know, set the goals and drive towards them and build your team that'll get you there. You know, I feel like that concept is very empowering for artists. Once you understand that, you can't just wait around in your, you know, lonely garret, you know, working away at night, hoping that someone discovers you. As soon as you drop that idea and you realize that you have agency, that you can create something for yourself by taking control of your business, then you have a possibility to make a really good career. We see uh, a huge demand at the Clark Healings Fund for business education for artists, which is, of course, what CHF delivers as its mission. And, but behind this, what is implied behind this demand for business education is something new. It's a lot of uh, the market research suggests we've reached a, a tipping point with direct-to-audience sales, artists cutting out the middleman, so to speak, artists engaging an audience more directly. I mean, certainly the growth of social media uh, and uh, ubiquitous technology. You know, you've got a, you're carrying around an e-commerce store in your hand, for goodness sake, when you lift your phone, as well as a marketing engine when you point your camera. So my question to you is, uh, how do you see this playing out for artists, and what do artists need to take into consideration when pursuing sort of a direct-to-consumer sales path? Yeah, well, I mean, it's a much harder road to go than the old model. Wouldn't it be nice if somebody took care of all of us and did all that for us? I was talking to somebody just recently about this, that, you know, it, it's the, we have the greatest opportunity ever. We have the greatest tools that we've ever had. Like, like you said, in your hand, you have the, the greatest tool ever to, to, to start and maintain businesses. But it does take time and it takes practice and it takes dedication to it. And a lot of artists are not interested in that or they feel put upon by that. But the tools are there and the education is, is out there in places like Clark Hewings or at my fair or at art schools now that teach about the business of art. If artists can just spend a little time working on that part of their practice, they can go much further. But that's the big thing, right? It's, it really takes considering it as a practice and working towards it every day, just like making your art. 
And with that, I'm going to close with one more question and then make a couple of announcements. Uh, so, Ray, of course, you know, we work together for many of the reasons that we talked about, uh, the Clark Healings Fund and Startup Art Fair. If you could sum it up, why would you say that CHF and SAF are aligned in what we're doing overall? Because we have um, very clear missions to help artists. And also because we think of artists as business people with agency and with the skills and the ability to manage their own careers. And uh, I couldn't think of a better partner than CHF. Our ideas and missions are so aligned. So for those interested in the San Francisco Startup Art Fair, uh, April 27th through 29th, or one of the future art fairs, visit startupartfair.com. For the second annual Art Business Summit in Santa Fe, April 6th through 7th, go to clarkhulingsfund.org slash Santa Fe. And remember the promo code SAVE. It'll save you $100. You've been listening to the Thriving Artist Podcast, an educational feature of the Clark Hulings Fund for Visual Artists. If you've enjoyed this program, be sure to subscribe to new episodes and review your experience on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you tune in. For more information on Ray's work, visit raybeldner.com and startupartfair.com. For information on the Clark Hulings Fund, visit clarkhulingsfund.org. And to sponsor our learning programs with your impactful gift of any size, visit clarkhulingsfund.org slash donate. Thank you for listening, and thank you, Ray. It's been really great having you. Thanks for having me on. This was terrific.